Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Reverend Mike. Today on Recovery in the Middle Ages, we dive into Annie Grace's definitive work, This Naked Mind. Mike cuts his finger and has to get stitches, and Dr. Carl Hart writes a book advocating for recreational heroin use, all coming hard in your ear holes right now. (laughs) Right now. Welcome back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Great reviews will be read on the air. Yes, I, I put as a question, we get them. I put a question mark there, but it should have been an exclamation point. <laughs> um, and um, welcome back, everybody. Great show for you. Hey, let's hope so. Um, <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> it is Friday. and uh, Hope it's Friday where you live. We've all had a, uh, an interesting week. Um, oh, tell make me sure, about it. Uh, Visit us on middleagesrecovery.com. Yep. Um, tell us your story. We're not getting a lot of those, Nobody, none, in fact. Uh, <laughs> well, have we gotten one or two? We, there's some bot that keeps filling it out, and they just write, like, one word. Oh. It's weird. Uh, they must be testing something. That doesn't count, though, does it, for, got, no, it does not. for anything? It is. No? Uh, but we have gotten some good reviews. We I have. haven't gotten permission to read them yet from thank, the- uh, Thank you, people, for writing the good ones. the listeners. Um, but uh, some very exciting stuff is- happening still working on um uh merch and yes jeff i know i have to drop ship you stuff um that we want to print on well, we can talk to jeff about that another, you don't think i should another talk to forum him? i shouldn't directly <laughs> i shouldn't track this for our show no right, we'll right. save it. oh by the way any of you who want a shirt yeah it's a go, t-shirt go to the go to the facebook page yeah right? and there's you posted something. I there. did. I know it's confusing because I haven't posted a price. I haven't posted like <laughs> it's pretty. I haven't actually put a way for you to order it. it here's the reason. Here's the reason. I just really wanted to get a, a kind of a, a show of hands who even wants one at all. Well, so far, it's two people. Have Jeff, Jeff Shredwards and uh, the oh, other guy. Jed. Jed, Jed Shredwards. Shredwards. He's uh, also Jed's our um, d- our dopey Dharma um, Buddhist. Recovery oh, guy. Cool. Yeah, we have to have him on. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. And and I brought it up with him sort of, uh, you know, on a post or something, the way people communicate these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, he seems interested. And he also right. listens to the show. So, Jed, what's up? It's the new year. We need guests because you don't want to listen to us just talk all year endlessly. Or do Inane you? chatter, as or my wife you? calls it. Um, <laughs> it's big on the inane <laughs> chatter. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, the incomparable Aaron Moore is our super... Super twat? Is does that she, a thing? Oh, does she? Oh, you're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to hear it from... That's not what I meant. Are you I'm going to... Uh, do, do we post tweets? Or are they just she bot does. tweets? Um, I think our pod bean... You know what? Why run down Twitter? Go to Twitter and subscribe and see what's going see on See what there. happens. See if anybody me. writes Some, you back. Somebody tell me. <laughs> um, but lots of exciting stuff. It's a new year. It is. Um, it's getting cold. Are you getting cold? Are your Christmas lights still up? Mine? Yes. My Christmas lights were gone two days after Christmas. Yeah. Um, I can't. I just can't. It's too depressing. Yeah. The tree, I oh, I have a funny story about the tree. Um, the real live tree that I didn't want to get this year. So I leave it in the uh, living room and that uh, actually like a week or two after Christmas, I was sort of like, um, you know, uh, hey, should we take down that tree uh, that right. you wanted to get to my wife? And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, me and Ben take it down, and I drag it out of the house, and I throw it in the backyard, and there's needles everywhere all over the house, and <laughs> the two of us spend, like, however long cleaning it up. And then I look in the back, and I notice that my tree from last year is still leaning against the fence. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, how can I you know, get rid of this tree? So I just dragged it out to the front of the curb and left it, and so it's this brown shriveled tree <laughs> it's like a charlie brown all tree. these other like green dead trees up <laughs> nice. down the block i wonder what the garbageman thought and i really wonder what they thought when two days later i dragged out the other one <laughs> Wait, what is that? so you know whatever so you're taking it down. i still what we do in, in our house because you know 
I'm supposed to do it. It happens in stages over time. Mm-hmm. So first thing to go in our house is the tree, the real tree, always a real tree, and um, <laughs> for us. Right. And uh, and then my wife got a chance to take down some. Um, some decorations inside and then finally I'm the one that's got to pull the lights down from the outside and it's just been too cold and uh, nah, just put on a heavy jacket well, you live in the northeast I've been working so much even though nobody's coming in no. um right, you know well, but this that's what the weekend's for that <laughs> that's got- it but I like the the cold weather mostly because it's the only time I can wear this Blade Runner 2049 like movie uh, it's from the movie wardrobe design. It's like one of these companies that does like movie right. uh, style clothing. And I'm a huge Blade Runner fan. Um, and uh, so the, the jacket that Ryan Gosling wears uh, in it, in any case, I got that a few years ago for myself. It's right. leather. It is a trench coat and it's designed like super awesome cyberpunk. So while you're tracking down replicants, yeah. you can also remove your Christmas tree lights. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right, and I not only did I also bought the prop version of the gun, like somebody made on Etsy. Um, Buddy, I wouldn't be wandering around the neighborhood with that in your hand, especially after it. the last couple of weeks. I'll show it to you after the store. It's in, it's in the store. <laughs> um, but that's another story. So I'm just looking for excuses to wear my overcoat, but I haven't gotten one yet. Um, not only that. It's cold. I wanted to ask you, we, we've got a lot to talk about today, folks, so sit back. It's a fully packed schedule. Yeah, just relax, everybody. Chill out. I can't. And Oh, you don't mean me. Listen mean to that. the sweet sound. No, you don't chill out. You get, you get crazy. You I know what I realized? I've, to, I've totally lost control over what these buttons all do. Yeah, we used to have um, a pretty predictable sound bank. The CPU is in row that problem. Okay, that's Arnold. Okay, that's that. You know. What the My hell? advice to you. Start drinking heavy. Okay, that's that. Oh, good. I have that one yes. back. And that one. Okay. What's the top two? Sorry. What are those buttons? The top two is, I think this is... <laughs> oh, I didn't know laughter. you had to clap trap. <laughs> laughter. And then there's the... Um, Recovering the news and the other one. A burner. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll get to that later. Ha- what I wanted to ask you is, um, how are your New Year's resolutions going? To the extent that I've made any, uh, they're doing fine. I will say this, um, as a, uh, a person who was previously known in my work incarnation as somebody that really appreciates a bottle of wine, let's say, right. I've been getting wine shipped to my house this season. <laughs> like, like there's no tomorrow. Like, uh, I, I think who last sends year, you wine? uh, you know, lawyers, people that I give work to, you know, um, through, you know that kind, it's that kind of thing. The holiday stuff. And they're always very good bottles of wine right. because, you know, you don't want to send a shitty bottle of wine to somebody. So the other day I, um, I got one, it was, uh, Cabernet, something, something. Sauvignon. Sauvignon, and I open it up because uh, I need. I was making bigos, which is like a Polish hunter stew. Bigos. So I needed some to saute something in, and I, I realized some people are like, you can't cook with wine if you're an alcoholic because you it'll t- make you want to drink, which no. I think is a bunch of horseshit. But whatever. So I'm cooking with the wine, and I leave the bottle out on the counter. And this morning, I go to pick it up and you know dump it, and I notice it's like three quarters empty, and I'm like, well, I didn't drink it. And I think I, I said to Aaron, I'm like, like why is Nat? Yeah, unless unless, right, <laughs> What's that doing unless I'm sleepwalking and drinking at the same time. But it turns out uh, since uh, uh, according to my son, I have the house wired up like the CIA surveillance state. I have cameras in the kitchen. Uh, I really caught a look at my 16 uh, year old son <gasps> uh, helping himself to a little of that nice Cabernet <laughs> last night. So I'm a, I, you know, when I when he first started having some issues with like um, smoking pot and and drinking a little, uh, we came down pretty heavy. And and you know, we had it had exactly the opposite effect, right? He just got dug in and decided he was going to say fuck you and do it more. So yeah, yeah. what I did this morning was I took a picture on the Vivino app, which is an app that you can take a picture of a label on a bottle of wine and it will pull up the cost and all the information about the wine. That's cool. So I took a picture of the label. And I sent it to him. I texted it to him. And I said, in case you wanted to know more about what you were drinking last night. Um, and then I, lay, I laid out reasons why he shouldn't have been drinking the wine. It was like a $1,000 <laughs> bottle of wine. No, it was like 50 bucks, yeah. but, which is, you know. It's I, a good bottle. Yeah, I, I wouldn't spend that. Guy. I never spent that money on my own bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> if someone's buying it for me, fine. But so I don't know. I think he got the message. He didn't 
say anything to but, me. But uh, what's curious about your son is that, um, from what I've heard, actually, I don't even think I've had a conversation with him. But uh, most people have not. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't talk much. But um, I was going to say, what's interesting is you said he's recently gotten into like the conservative political. Yes, very um, much so. And that we're not making this about politics. I promise. But it's just an interesting aside. Is that you were having some trouble with him smoking pot and mm-hmm. kind of generally misbehaving and not participating in school right. and things like that. Correct. And then miraculously, over the last I don't know month or two, he's completely Since September, changed. Really, yeah. He is latching on to this the conservative mindset, or I don't know if he's gone full like, oh, yeah. conspiracy no, QAnon or no, not QAnon. He's not that far. No, he's smarter than that. So Sorry, guy. If anybody believes in QAnon, who's listening? <laughs> yes, again, and so, um, and then, and then now he's sort of doing better at you know everyday stuff. Yeah, but he's driving you mad <laughs> with this new issue. Um, well, um, but it's like, isn't that like harm reduction? Like, I'd rather him put his energy towards that, even though it's this situation. You know, crazy I would thing. I would much rather debate him about politics than yell at him about smoking pot. Right. And, I, and I don't even think he stopped smoking pot, but I think he's somehow compartmentalized or managed to. Um, prioritize the things that are important over the things that are not. And I don't know. He's a work in progress. We'll, yeah. let, we'll see how it all falls out. But uh, I helped him buy a couple of stocks yesterday. He wants to That's invest so in the cool. stock market. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the, with the direction he's going in last night's little jaunt down uh, Cabernet land, notwithstanding. Um, uh, you know. It's funny because I feel like I had those exact same scenarios uh, roll out in my marriage <laughs> where it was, you know, to, towards the beginning of when I was, when she was kind of like, okay, it's time to like cut down on drinking like a little bit, like before yeah. it got nutty. Um, and then stuff like that happened all the time. Uh-huh. Like she would take a like something, you know, she, yeah. it was this confrontation and I was basically, you know, it, that perpetual adolescent, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get away with something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I let him know he's not getting away with anything. But That's, he's 16 or seven. Right. So 16. It's completely, yeah. you know, understandable. Yeah. Uh, um, right. And it's a good sign. You know, I don't know how I would feel about it. I, I know that I think, like you said, I'd rather be having, and it's, if it's great, if there is a positive fallout to, you know, a mindset like that, what's, there's nothing wrong with it, I don't think, except that he's going to be voting in a couple of years and that scares you. But guess voting what? Voting in the midterms. There's, yep. you know, it's New York. I don't know. It, yeah. it's, it's a funny thing, but I understand you guys were looking at Catholic schools for... Different kid. Oh, for Jack? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know why I thought Dimitri, because Dimitri's almost out of... He's almost out of high school. Right, right. So Jack... Yeah, right. I had him take the uh, Catholic school admissions test. Yeah, which uh, well, what's he, the thinking there? Why do you want him in a Catholic school? Um, they're better school. Which the one? Oh yeah, I don't want to say the name, but the but the one that he got into that's the top of his list of three. Yeah, because uh, you have to pick three. Yeah, is the one that I went to, and uh, it's a very good school. And the only problem is. He, I've Does raised that rhyme him. with lemonade? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is I've not raised him much with religion. So. Yeah. That, so that is going to be tricky. So then. Well, it's especially you, tricky because I have to submit a baptismal certificate for him by the twenty seventh of January, <laughs> and I don't have one. That's amazing. And so I had to basically debase myself in front of a priest yesterday. You wouldn't be the <laughs> not, first. Not, right. Yes. Um, and say, you know, listen, uh, can you help me out here, Father? You know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been 45 years since my last confession, but um, <laughs> I needed to. So I don't know. That's also a work in progress. Did because, you tell him you did a podcast with a Protestant? No, because if I, I, I tell, tell him, him I did that. a podcast and he listens to this, he's never going <laughs> to grant me the plenary <laughs> indulgence or whatever the hell I need. <laughs> plenary indulgence. That sounds interesting. I actually got a plenary indulgence. What is a plenary indulgence? We'll, we'll cover that in a different show. So very quickly. Yes. It is a, uh, you are absolved from all punishment from sin, assuming you do a couple of things. Like in the year 2000, there was a jubilee. And if you made a pilgrimage to Rome, which I actually did in the year 2000 you did. and then went to confession, which I did at the Vatican. Really? Um, How did that then go? I got, I, everything that came before then, I was off scot-free. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. I want that. Yeah. The difference between um, something like that, like the, the Protestant equivalent, mm-hmm. is just believing in Jesus and asking him to forgive right. you. Right, which should be enough. It did. Yeah. I mean, he has God and everything. I mean, the, the whole Catholic church hierarchy is like middle management. There's yeah. really no need for it, but... 
But anyway, God uh, love him. God yeah. love him. So that's interesting. So you're, are you going to get him back? Like I, I'm waiting to hear back from the priest who wants, who actually sent me an email yeah. yesterday after I emailed him, which <laughs> having been raised as a Catholic, it's to get an email like this from a priest, you know, you, you, you get that clenching feeling in your stomach when right. he goes, uh, what did he say? He said, um, Hello, Mike. Oh, fuck. He goes, perhaps we can figure it out. But the idea is that you want to be a Catholic and not just use us in the sacrament to get into a school. So I think I have my work cut out for me when I speak to the priest. But uh, he also said, perhaps there's a way. So, Okay. Well, that's that's extremely interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It reminds me of when I married a Catholic girl. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I was Protestant, but I wasn't just a Protestant. I mean, my family's pretty active in the local Presbyterian church. I'm a deacon there. It's, you know, I'm I'm way more involved in local, like religious activities, let's say, than my wife was at Mm -hmm. the times. So we had to sort of make a compromise because her mother is very, you know, Catholic. Right. Um, And um, she was just you know, very insistent that her daughter be married in a Catholic church. And so the, the deal I cut with my wife, I said, listen, fine. I said, I'll do that. I said, but the Pope can't have my children. I think that those are my exact words. What does that mean? It means I'm not raising my oh, children. Okay, okay. And it, like gotcha, I said, gotcha. Pope can't have, okay. I said, can't have my children. I said that to my mother-in-law <laughs> and uh, that, that was a classic moment. Um, but I made it very clear that, listen, I... You know, I, I can't raise the children Catholic because I don't know any, I'm not Catholic. Right. You know, and then the, they made a whole thing. It's the mother's, you know, religion that the child is. And I was like, mm, no, that's not true. My mother mm. was Jewish right. when I was at that age. She hadn't converted yet. And it was the, you know, the parent who just feels more like it's more important to them. Right. Like that's the way we did it. Right. And so it was more important to my wife's mother that we get married in the Catholic church. So she got that. I said, fine, I'll do it. Okay. And more important to me that <laughs> horse trading the sacraments for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I had these funny, like uh, awkward, you know, moments because yeah. they make you go to pre-Cana. Right. Um, and did you go to pre-Cana? No, I was not married in the church. Oh, okay. It's basically a class. So you're basically having a priest who I don't wouldn't call them relationship experts for a variety of reasons, <laughs> giving you advice. Yes. And not only that, they give you technical advice on sex. And like, like, what do you mean? Like how, you know, when you should do it and why you should do it. And, oh. you know, no, how wonderful on, it is. Nothing on how? Positions? They didn't describe, you know, like we didn't get out the Kama Sutra, you know, <laughs> in Latin or something. But, um, hmm. you know, so it's this class and they're, you know, they're, you have to go through it and then graduate from it for right. the Catholic Church to marry it. Mm-hmm. And so I went through it and it was pretty funny. Um, one of the, one, the stories we always talk about uh, is there was one um, church that we, you know, we went to one of the church services each Sunday or what was it, Saturday? Catholics do it different days. They do like, Sunday or Saturday. They really like Saturday mass, Saturday mass. So we were at one of those and we get there, um, like the class had to attend. The, the priest was like, oh, hey, I'm glad you got here early. Um, I want you, can you bring up the gifts? Um, which, do you know what gifts I, are? I do indeed. What are yes. the gifts Could you, for our audience? Because yes. not everybody knows what the gifts the are. The gifts are the water and the wine that the priest is going to turn into the blood of Jesus. What about the crackers? The wafer is the Eucharist, the <laughs> communion, the body of Christ. Right. So those are considered the gifts. The gifts. So me, not using the word gifts in that way ever in my life, <laughs> said, I looked at my wife and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Father. Well, we didn't bring any gifts. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know we had to bring gifts. That's good. And he was looking That's at funny. me, but I was dead. I wasn't even joking. <laughs> and my wife's like, no, 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 no. She could take it. And then I went and I just grabbed the whole wafer, <laughs> apparently. I don't think you're supposed to touch it. No, you're not. <laughs> but I grabbed it anyway. And she was like, no, no. And uh, and so that was just part of the fun that I had. Um you guys don't have rules like that in the Protestant uh, tradition? You must no, have different rules. No, everything, it's different and it's a lot more prosaic and it's a lot more, um, not as smells and bellsy. Uh, it's more like... See, the, that's the part I like about it. Well, yeah, a lot of people thing. like that. Yeah. I mean, some people remain in the Catholic religion and uh, just for those cultural things, like, you know, every Wednesday before Easter, you go and, right, Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Um, right. Whereas Protestants are... 
well, at least in my belief system, we're really just more concerned with a direct relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and the priest or the pastor has no special power or connection to God. Not only that, the um, president or the, the person who runs the Presbyterian church, and this is true of most Protestant um, denominations, is just like runs a corporation. He's not considered right. special. Yeah, yeah. He's you, just, know. Uh, you have as much like the, a person sitting in a pew has as much power to talk to God and uh, and get for, be, be forgiven as a priest does. Right. And, and so... Well, that all stem, stem from Martin Luther nailing the dum, dum, stuff dum, to, the, dum, to the door there. The 98 you know. theses or the 99 yeah, right. theses. And that was because of the selling of plenary indulgences just to bring back full circle to the plenary indulgence. And the my understanding of the plenary indulgences or the indulgences is the, the Catholic church was letting people pay money to be absolved of things mm-hmm. or yeah. to have That's a like better also favor. simony, I think is that yeah. it's called. Yeah. I mean, I, I, is anybody still listening? Do you think to, to this show? <laughs> no, because <laughs> yeah, we were a little in the weeds, uh, you know, I'm very sorry. We anyway, should do another, sh- we should do another show on uh, comparative religion. Yeah. Not like this show, like a whole other show. Like a, a limited mini series yeah. or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, so moving on. <laughs> right. uh, I'm not going to talk about, uh, I have a bullet here about college, but um, you cut your finger. I think we really should talk about you going to urgent care. Um, I thought it was that last week. Yeah, it was you were, like five days ago. Yeah, you were whittling well, some kind of homage to me. <laughs> you know how things show up in your Facebook feed, like endlessly ads? Yes. Like somehow or other, I must have indicated an interest in buying a very sharp knife because for weeks, all I would get is ads for this Japanese knife company. <laughs> and um, eventually I was like, oh, fine. And I ordered it and it came and they were very sharp knives. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay. And so within the first week, I cut off like the tip of a fingernail and mm. cut, you know, myself. And finally last week, the knife got the better of me and did a nice deep cut in my index finger and the blood was spurting out all over the place. I had to like grab it and run over to urgent care and uh. get a bunch of stitches and have it put back together. Yikes. So it was weird going, I haven't really been to the doctor that much since COVID started and sitting in there with all those people waiting for COVID tests is, is, uh, yeah. I found, I had one N95 mask left that I found in the closet, strapped that sucker on and, and went in there. <laughs> the doctor's hands were shaking when he was sewing me up and I could not figure oh. out what that was all about. Like he seemed like a nice enough guy, but I don't know, maybe he's got like, uh, a problem <laughs> some sort it's I don't know bad bad guy to be so but you're feeling anyway, no painkillers the thing didn't even hurt you know yeah when I, it's sharp like that yeah mm-hmm. the thing I will say though is when I popped open that bottle of wine the other day as long as, we're, as, long as I'm in a confessing mood since we're talking a lot about yes. Catholicism <laughs> uh, for a brief second it occurred to me to just pour it into my mouth and I and <laughs> I honestly yep. have not thought that for a long time because <laughs> my wife drinks wine around the house yeah, not a big, but this is but this was like it was more than a thought. It was really? like, hmm. <laughs> so what did you do with I it? Just, I played it forward and realized, that, why would I want to throw away everything that you and I have not here in the storeroom <laughs> over, well, over just, one fleeting moment of pleasure? Well, I want you to know that even if well, you relapsed... Um, Nothing really would change here. We would just <laughs> well, make, be good for the make show. Make for good radio. <laughs> in fact, we're actually scheduling a relapse for one of us in the near future. We'll see. Just, just to, in case if listenership starts to drop, we're, one of us will have a relapse. Well, we did get that. Um, was it a review or a, you got an email or, or a message from somebody who said mm-hmm. that they found my... Uh, my foray into uh, temporary dementia from my CBD experience to be amusing. <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad um, that my suffering was able to amuse. Yeah, people. Jamie. Um, Jamie wrote us uh, from the from the dopey nation. I know her from the dopey nation, and wrote us a really funny review. And um, uh, I'll, I'll re- I'm just waiting to get her permission on that to, okay. to read it, but it's very funny. Yeah. And uh, and then finally, in housekeeping here, because we need to move on, to Annie Grace, mm. you went back to. Crack Street. Oh, and that's not an actual street. This has Crack been street. a fucked up week for me. Yeah. You know, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, so wife and I were bored last Sunday. I guess it was Sunday. And um, mm. I was like, let's go drive over to Inwood, which is a neighborhood in upper Manhattan that I used to live in that has a nice park overlooking the Hudson River. And I figured we could get out, walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, my wife was like, well, okay, as long as we're going, why don't we just drive through some Bronx neighborhoods? And I'm like, okay, I, I got a couple of Bronx neighborhoods. <laughs> we could drive through. 
So we get off at Fordham Road, I, and I, I make that turn, that right turn onto Decatur Avenue, which is where I used to get into all, all my trouble. Right. And drove up the block, and I started freaking out, man. I started sweating. I started really? feeling really... Because I'm, 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 we're driving in the car, and I'm, I'm pointing out, oh, hey, honey, that's Freddy's Crack House over there. I spent most of the summer in that guy's basement. And there's the, there's the store that I helped hold up. And there's the, you know... And I'm going through all this stuff, and, and she's, like, looking at me with, like, a look of horror on her Doesn't face. Doesn't she listen to the show? She does, but, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't really been so, you know, descriptive with a lot of the tales of the dark jury passed, you know. Interesting. Um, but anyway, the, the odd thing was that that neighborhood hadn't changed much at all. Wow. Um, no gentrification. No gentrification in that part of the Bronx. And, you know, Erin was like, she's like, it's so dirty. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's dirty. It's poor. It's desperate. And it's full of drugs. <laughs> that hadn't changed at all. Wow. But I, my reaction was, um, you know, it was almost akin to like a, a mini panic attack. Huh. Um, but... You know, because I definitely had some PTSD from from all those nights spent running around up there, getting yeah. into all kinds of trouble. And, you know, I, and I had a job where I had to drive around the Bronx that happened after I quit the, the crack. And so I kind of worked through a lot of that during that job because I had to go to those same neighborhoods in a professional capacity rather than a uh, recreational capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really haven't been on that street since, um, you know, 1990, maybe wow. 91. Yeah, that takes you back. Yeah. yeah, that PTSD stuff. That's I think I, I talked about this last week. I'm st- in the last few months of my sobriety, um, more and more out of like nowhere, mm. like um, just you know, all of a sudden I'm reliving you know these memories. Mm-hmm. Just like like when I flip my car, you know, I you know I'll have that memory of when I opened my eyes and I was hanging upside down, right. And just going back to that, like more of that's been happening, mm. you know, where stuff that I haven't thought about, like my entire twenties, I, I haven't really thought about, yeah. you know what I mean? But here, now here. it's starting to come back. Like, you know, one night where, uh, I got too drunk at, at a bar we used to hang out at and my band used to play at, um, but I went by myself and like, I was driving back in the snow and I like, you know, crashed into a snowbank. There was no cars and it was like 3am mm-hmm. I was coming back. And uh, I was just drunk, man, and uh, and I like crunched my car up like an accordion, and they still drove it back, parked <laughs> it in the driveway, uh-huh. came home, went to sleep, and this was before uh, you know I I got sober, like because you know I was um still I was still allowed to drink, right? You know, in my my wife uh, anyway, my house rules. So, uh, and then the next morning. Uh, I, when we woke up, she, she went out to go to work. I think it was, <laughs> saw the car and it was just, what the, you know, she yeah. let me have it. And I'm like, Oh, and it's just those moments. And there's so many moments like that. Yeah. Um, so dealing with that, I think is, is the next, um, stage in my recovery, you know, mm. and, uh, it's something that I haven't dealt with really. Cause I hadn't been sober long enough to, you know, I was still, so focused on like running out of the burning house immediately, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, now doing the postmortem on who started the fire. Why did they start it? You right. know, where did it start? Right. Like, what was the most flammable thing in your house? You know, obviously that's all a metaphor. Um, obviously there was, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it, it is interesting that, um, because you know, I put that stuff behind me so quickly in the nineties, like the, the, the drugs, that I just didn't, I blocked it out. I didn't want to think about it. Yeah. I didn't want to re- think about the type of person I was when I was doing it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so, you know, but you know, the past never stays in the past. It comes up and knocks on the door every once in a while as they reannounce itself and say, Hey, you have some unfinished business up here on crack street or, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you listen to some of the quantum physics theorists mm. and stuff right now, the past, the present, the future. It's all the same. It all is, not only is it the same, it's all happening yeah, simultaneously. We're all, we're all manifesting time. Every moment that has you know, ever was is right. happening right now. That's right. That's uh, The Zen Buddhists believe that also. And with that, we'd like to move on now to um, Annie Grace's This Naked Mind. Um, yeah. Oh, no, wrong. Oh, <laughs> Wait, which one are we doing for... 
No, not no, that one. Not that one. There we go. <laughs> we talk about this book a lot. We've been bringing it up a lot in the show. If you've been listening since the beginning. Um, and if you haven't, shame on you. Yeah, shame on you. And so finally, we, we're going to give this a uh, the RMA treatment. Um, so I was re-listening. I've, I've listened to this book um, a couple of times. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and I started doing it again just to do this show, and um, I, I just love this book. I mean, like, what did this book do for you? This book was was really the uh, way that I got sober. Really, actually, the, yeah. this naked mind process. Um, it's, well, it, what it did was it completely changed. The, the, I mean, it's it's similar to smart recovery mm-hmm. in a way because what it does is it teaches you to completely rewire your brain to think about alcohol very differently not as something that you know um, you need to have that it that it relaxes you and all the other positives that you associate with why you drink or you can only be social if you drink and it, and it teaches you that all those things that you believe all of those beliefs that you have about alcohol and using alcohol and what it does for you are actually not true right and it switches you flip the script around until you see alcohol as the um, the lying, conniving, you know, poison that it is. Right. So, you know, why would you want to put that into your body? Right. Exactly. And she calls this liminal thinking, yes. which she gets from, um, I forget the, the author's name, Gray, I think David Gray, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, basically what that is, is changing your subconscious through conscious actions and thoughts. Yes. So it's the belief that alcoholism is, and I'm going to simplify this, but it's not that simple, but um, is that the the reason people keep drinking alcohol or or even start to begin with is a subconscious plant, like an implant from media, from society Mm -hmm. that has built up around alcohol. You've been seeing it since you were a little kid. just, you know, described only in positive terms. So liminal thinking is to learn something or, or to read or study something that is true to destroy your subconscious um, misperceptions. Right. Because the subconscious is where the decisions to drink come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the beliefs that have been internalized over the course of your life up to, up to now. Exactly. Um, Now you have a line here called blind men molesting an elephant. I'll I'll let you talk about that. I don't recall that. Oh, sorry. Wrong text. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So she describes it. And I think this is, um, she describes this at the beginning of the book uh, about how perception isn't necessarily reality. Right. And this idea uh, and confirmation bias, like, so the, the blind men molesting, I, it, I didn't have to write molesting, but <laughs> you just wanted to, I did, you know, and after the coming in your ear holes, um, <laughs> I was just kind of going down that path. You we're earning but, that um, explicit label yeah, this week. Yes. Explicit. Uh, and so if three blind men walked up to an elephant and, uh, not a joke, <laughs> Ooh, ooh la la, remember? <laughs> right. If you say ooh la la after anything, it makes it creepy. Yeah. Um, so one blind man walks up to the elephant, grabs the uh, the trunk, and <laughs> <laughs> grabs the trunk. Doesn't he? Okay. Uh, she keeps grabbing the trunk over and over again, uh, massaging it, and um, so and so, says, so that blind man has one perspective on the elephant. It's right? a snake. <laughs> right. Okay. Another one puts his hand up against it <laughs> and says it's a wall. And um, and then the third one, you know, grabs the tail or something and says it's I don't know what it is, something else. <laughs> but they're all wrong. And right. but they're all sure of what they yes. think that they have perceived. Mm-hmm. And 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 so Annie Grace uses that uh, to sort of explain this theory that like everything we've been seeing is just these partial realities that have been manipulated to make mm-hmm. us believe something like on a very basic level. It's like, I, I'm stressed out. What's the first thing I think is going to help me is a drink, having a drink and everything you've seen on television, you've seen you know, socially um, tells you 
that this is the thing to do. So, and it all reinforces itself. That's the weird thing. Like all of a sudden mommy wine culture is a thing and, and it's being, it's all over social media. And so it's become an acceptable way of dealing with stress. Right. I'm not judging people by the way. I'm just using that as an example because there's beer, because there's beer relaxation culture around sports for men. Right. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden beer is somehow associated with healthy physical activity. Right. Right. How the hell does that happen? Right. You know, know, let's, let's sit around and, and watch, people in the peak of their physical prime perform tricky uh, sporting things and we'll sit on the couch and eat eat Doritos and drink ourselves (laughs) shit face. I'm just going to get wasted while I watch you exercise. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. So, I mean, so these assumptions run deep and, and I wouldn't say Annie has a problem with AA. I, I I think she thinks that, that the, that some of the assumptions underpinning some of the thought, processes in AA are incorrect. Um, mm. Like the fact that AA considers alcohol to be some kind of an allergy, right? But yeah, and it's not an allergy. It's really, it's, it's a question of how you are thinking about alcohol. That's the issue. Right. right? I mean, that's what she's saying. It's not an allergy. I mean, that's right. no science in medicine has not definitively determined alcoholism to be a um, an allergy or a disease mm-hmm. that hasn't happened. The only thing that has happened like that is in studying uh, the brains of people who are already, you know, suffering from addiction right. are clearly different from the way yes. that different from someone who isn't. But that didn't pre-exist the alcohol drinking. Therein lies the problem, mm. and I think I'm a living example that, you know, I'm not really, you know, paralyzingly bipolar. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, but it was really exacerbated, mm-hmm. made worse, and um, and became a diagnosis by more than one doctor. Right. And although I no longer suffer, I mean, bipolar isn't something that you can catch. No. Um, and so, uh, so that's the only you know proven like okay, there's a physio- physiological change in alcoholics. Right. So well, she's against that. Well, but she also says that. You know, it's a problem with labeling people as alcoholics because alcohol as a substance is dangerous. It's addictive. But we persist in labeling a subset of drinkers as alcoholics mm-hmm. and because that reassures ourselves that, you know, we, we meaning the, quote, normal drinkers mm-hmm. are different from those people because they have a disease. Right. When, when in reality, there's millions of regular drinkers who go through their lives with no fear that they will become an alcoholic. While it's almost inevitable that social drinking progresses towards some level of alcohol abuse. Right. And all the while ignoring the fact that if they are stressed out and don't have a drink, that they are incapable of calming down and feeling better without that. Right. And that is the definition of addiction, I think, in, a, in some perspective. Well, stu- all studies that have been done on regular drinkers show that they tend to increase their consumption regularly over time. Right. Um you know, you start with one on the weekend and then it's one every night. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that was the path I took, but yeah. I was later, you know, informed that, oh, that's just because I'm an alcoholic that, right. that, that happened. Not, and, and that there's something wrong with me. Uh, and he also compares it to like cigarettes in mm-hmm. that she says, we don't go around calling someone a nicotineaholic or a caffeine, uh, or, or caffeineaholic with coffee. They say, you know, you, you should cut back or stop because it's an addictive substance. Yes. It's not, it wasn't, you didn't have a pre-existing thing wrong with you that made you right. smoke. It right. was the smoking that created the problem in your uh, physiology. Yes. But however, we take that disease model and we apply it to um, alcohol and we apply it to, to drugs. Yeah. Like some drugs, the, only the ones that are not socially acceptable. Those are the ones that people can be labeled alcoholics and addicts over, but the ones that are okay, it's the substance. It's not the Right. And and so she's, you know, pointing out that not only is there a double standard, but um, that it's basically completely misleading. And not only that, but the people who are perpetuating uh, the myth um, are doing it basically to sell more alcohol or make money somehow from it. But the the ground uh, 
groundswell of people who are supporting alcohol uh, is so vast and it's been going on so long that it just barely has to be pushed along to keep keep going, you know? Yeah. There's always going to be beer commercials on football, football games, you know? So uh, it's well, a matter of changing the way you're perceiving it. She's saying she's seeing it the right way and you're seeing it the wrong way and here's why. Right. Um, well, she starts off the book with one of my favorite quotes about alcohol ever, which is, um, it's the only drug that you have to justify not using <laughs> to other people. And I know I've said that before, but it, that, that thing always, the, the minute I heard her say that the first time I read that book, it was like a light bulb went on over Wait, my say head. it one more time. Alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not using right. to other people. Right. Yeah. Like if you were doing cocaine people would not be like well why aren't you doing more cocaine yeah, hey hey we're know. going out you're not doing cocaine what's wrong with you you're ready to do a shot like yeah. do you have a cocaine problem is that why you're not doing cocaine it's like it's ridiculous yeah. you know but yeah. alcohol it's like you have to explain why you're not drinking you know why why you're not going out to the bar why you're not doing and and i i agree with this idea that there's a big alcohol that's you know incentivizing everybody drinking but right. i don't think that's i don't think that's all of it i think it's a it's a collective shared hypnosis almost mm-hmm. about, about this substance. I mean, what percentage of the population do you think actually drinks? Um, I think like 80% of adults, probably something like that. She 80, gives 80, a number. 87%. Yeah. Wow. So that's a, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a, uh, collective unconscious, dis, you know, set of yeah. decisions that are being made. And, but it, I mean, it's also fair to assume that the majority of people who drink, consider themselves in control of their drinking, right? Uh, yeah, um, but definitely. Really, everybody who drinks has a chance of becoming addicted. Right? You Absolutely. can't know when you're in control of your drinking and when it gets away from you, which is what makes it so dangerous. Right, and it's and, and she, she also talks about the rock bottom thing and how it's like the mm. only problem where people... Like have to, things have to get so, like you keep doing it so much and it's so bad and that your um, hypnosis is so strong that it takes a rock bottom event to disabuse you of the notion that this is actually bad for you. Yes. And then so she's, and she talks about how when she tells people she quit drinking, um, they automatically assume like, oh, that must've been so hard for you. You know, you must've been in such a bad place. Right. Like what was so horrible going on that you would quit drinking like wow (laughs) something must have gone horribly and and a lot of the times that's what does happen Mm -hmm. and that's why that's been perpetuated but she's saying like what the hell that's a dangerous thing to sure to have as a common belief because that makes people who are not skipping along the bottom or hitting their bottoms like think that they don't have a problem and and how about my sponsor or aa guy who would tell me um, you're not done drinking yet. Get out of here. Go out and finish drinking. You're not ready for this. Have you, you never have you ever heard people say that? Uh, I've heard that that happens. You're I'm, not I'm done a, drinking. I'm, I'm horrified by the fact that that sure. happens. I, if you question the process too 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 much, that's what they'll say. In fact, I had a therapist, a professional therapist. She was a social worker. I think she she just I mean she had an MSW. She wasn't a doctor, but she was an AA person who is in therapy. There's a few of them, I think, and um. And that was one thing that she said. I came back one week and I had relapsed and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, I, I can't stop doing, cause this is way early on mm-hmm. before I got into the, you know, and, um, and so she, um, she basically, uh, told me, you know, and like angry, like yelling at, like get at, you know, like you're not done drinking, you know, go drink. And I was like, <laughs> that's when I fired her, honestly. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, um, you know, there, there's a lot, some very strong opinions. Uh, Alternatively though, under, under like this naked mind, like the, they say that, or she says that, you know, you don't need to stop drinking to start engaging with the process of not drinking, you know, that's very yeah interesting. You know, that you, you can, you shouldn't drink while you're reading the book. Right. <laughs> right? But if you are drinking, you know, at some level, then, you know, it's okay. As long as, you know, cause she kind of reels you in with this because the title of the book, it's, it's very sort of, um, markety, you know, she was a marketing person and right. it's like how to control your drinking. Right. When actually the goal at the end day is to really, it, it, her tagline is you can drink as much as you, as you want after participating in this program. The, the secret being of course that you won't want to drink anything after right. finishing the program. Right. But, um, I don't know. She, she, uh, she has some helpful analogies, um, like the pitcher plant. And, uh, analogy, which is, you know, when you start 
drinking, um, you know, she likens uh, the progression of, of drinking alcohol to like a bee. If you know the pitcher plant, the pitcher plant is like a carnivorous plant. Oh, like the Venus flytrap. Yeah, except, you know, if you're like a, a fly and, and you come across a pitcher plant, you kind of sit on the top and you can, it, it tastes like there's really good nectar down there. And so you start going down the, the, the flower mm-hmm. tube and sampling the nectar and right. it's really good and you're enjoying yourself, but you figure you can just turn around and leave whenever you want. But out of the corner of your eye, you look at the bottom and you see there's a whole bunch of other dead dead right. flies down there, which she equates to like the dead bees at the bottom of the pitcher plant are sort of the equivalent of the guy who's drinking out of a bag under a bridge, right? Right, or like, all the people whose just lives social, you've known yeah. that are ruined. You're a social drinker yeah. and, and you see these guys and you, you never stop to think like, did this guy always, was he always like this? Or how did he, how did he start, you know? <laughs> how did because it, by yeah. the time you realize you're, uh, you're sliding down the pitcher plant, if you're a bug, it's too late to get out. Right. Yeah. And that reminds me as a kid in the summers, um, when we were playing in the backyard, if there were bumblebees or those bees we put out, my parents had Bartles and James, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious. Thinking back, Bartles and James was like wine coolers. And my, my dad would like leave a wine cooler open and then the bees would go in and Mm -hmm. drink it and never come out. Same thing, but they they keep coming. Um, yeah, she, she had a lot, she has a lot of like little, little moments of epiphanies for me in this book. Like one sentence she says is like, how many people do you know who drink consistently less over time? And I'm like, none. (laughs) Yeah. You know? I mean, the only people I know like that are people like my parents who just were never drinkers at all. Never, never started in the first place. You know, so in their seventies, they definitely have (laughs) decreased. (laughs) I mean, uh, alcohol chemically is a poison, right? Yeah. I mean, so why consume any amount of poison? Well, Annie talks <laughs> about um, the, the cognitive dissonance, um, which is a term that I love. In, in other words, you, you're doing something uh, and you can't stop doing it that you know is not helping you or you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, other addicts have referred to this as using against my own will, um, which is a good point because when they're trying to make the point about, you know, my will gets me drunk which is why you give your will over to the program, give it over to God. Um, And so, but if you reframe it as not a willpower issue that it's because if you're struggling to give up something that you, you think is doing something for you, your willpower is not going to be enough. But if you change the way you think about that, that particular thing to the point where you don't want it anymore, then, you know, that, then you're not using your willpower. Right, you know? right, and that's kind of how I feel, and and I think looking at it from where I'm standing now, as, as opposed to where I was looking at stuff like this three, four years ago, mm-hmm. is that I know that on the other side, you know, basically, you know, what it's like, you know, I can basically, my inner addict, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I have the inner addict that normally would, like, with you drinking the wine, mm-hmm. you hear him going, just down it, just, take it, <laughs> you know. And, um, and more often than not now, my inner addict is an inner recovered addict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. exactly. Right. And, and, advo- he, and he advocates for me for once, finally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that came with a lot of, of me actually finally fully understanding and accepting, um, that it wasn't a positive thing that I was being deprived of. Mm-hmm. And that I think right. is super important. Like I don't walk around going, Oh, I wish, Oh, why can't I drink like my wife or my friends or normal people? I just, it's not something I want because I don't really think deep down inside that really it's some kind of pleasure that's been denied. No, me. exactly. And yeah. that is the whole point of this naked mind mm-hmm. is to, is to internalize and accept the belief that, this is not something you want because it is, it does nothing for you except create horror and pain. <laughs> yeah. And right. when I first listened to it, um, I, I, I was totally, I was not agreeing. I didn't think this would work mm-hmm. when she writes out at the beginning where she says like, you know, just change your thinking and change, you know, your mm-hmm. body. Um, she starts off by talking about her, um, uh, an experience she had with pain and pain management. Right. Um, I don't remember exactly, but she was saying that um, it was basically that emotional um, emotions can cause physical pain. Yes. She had a back issue that she healed by dealing with the emotional thing. Right. So she talks a lot about that and and it seems like woo woo, but you know, the longer you, you go, 
without you know self-medicating your pains and things like that your body and you get happier and with that positive thinking mm-hmm. with with that um being healthier a lot of those pains according to her are, you know that you think or there's something you know physically are actually emotional pain yeah as a famous doctor he actually cured howard stern's back pain that's the guy that she was talking about. right right yeah. right right yeah um I, for, I did you write down the name of the i i didn't okay for no. the next show we'll talk about that but that that was a very important point so this naked mind i mean it's in the title she's she's really just kind of um trying to let us all know that you have a lot more power than you think and that this this kind of dogma that we get from recovery that you there's nothing wrong with you you're different, mm-hmm. you know, that she's saying, no, 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 no. What's going on here is alcohol is the same. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's a poison. It's addictive. And at any level, it does nothing but cause sickness, pain, and heartbreak. Right. And any notion you have to the contrary has been basically brainwashed right. into you. Uh, She's not only saying it's physically addictive, but psychologically addictive because of those other things. Because that's important because she's not so reductionist as to say that alcohol is is, chemi- is chemically addictive, which it is, but... She doesn't say that? I, I don't think she does because... Okay. If you look at the some of the work that Gabor Mate did on addiction or some of the studies he cited... Um, the biological component to addiction, um, you know, this substance can cause you to become addicted is not as strong by itself as it is when it's combined with other issues. But she doesn't deny that it's an addictive poison. No, 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 no. But that's not the main push. Yeah, because anytime your body would naturally tell you to not do it, Mm -hmm. you've got all of this psychological claptrap going on i mean convincing you that it is good and there's something wrong right. with you i mean there's 60 types of diseases associated with alcohol uh it causes oh. twice the number of deaths as all other drugs combined <laughs> two million americans suffer from alcohol related liver disease uh you know i mean the and yet right and it's still considered and, a refreshing yeah you can just cold walk, brew walk into the liquor store and the buy whatever sweating you want glass beads of mm. condensation dripping down mm, beads golden of <laughs> you know carbonation rising majestically to a beautiful foam head settling <laughs> just above the edge of the glass you're gonna send half the listeners out to the to the deli now <laughs> what are you doing get the deli to get a sandwich yeah but i mean but that's an exa- that's what they're doing those sexy commercials yeah. sexy people drinking sexy drinks and um, at the end of the day, it's a money grab and it's bad for you. I realized like over the summer that if I put my kombucha in a fancy glass and stuck a piece of fruit in it, it was more or less the same. That's what I, yeah, <laughs> I, I totally agree, man. You know? I have, I love my Mexican Coca-Cola um, and uh, some, I put it in a chimney glass. Mm-hmm. Was, there you go. It was, used to be my favorite um, uh, small batch like uh, craft beer. Uh, made by these Trappist monks, but uh, and it comes with a cool glass. But uh, putting the ice in it, and I'm just as sad. I got to tell yeah. you, I'm not even exaggerating, guys. And those of you who are still using and drinking think I'm nuts because I would have thought you were nuts too. But I'm telling you, I get this same satisfaction. I really do. Uh, at the end of the day, when I uh, drink, even if it's water, you know what I find is if the thing I've put in my mind, mm-hmm. and this is actually a perfect way to. To, to wrap to get this together for me is that when when you are what was I just saying I completely lost it. What do you mean? Um, damn it, Chime, the glass. Okay, <laughs> what I was gonna say was <laughs> is that w- when the thing in my mind uh, matches up with the thing I'm about to do, mm-hmm. like when my mind automatically tells me. Oh, can't wait to get that glass of coca-cola right you know and i and i think about it in the same way i would fantasize about a drink just not fantasy, mm-hmm. but like thinking about it so when i finally do put the ice in the glass crack open that coca-cola put the water you know it's just like in the movie theater when they over amplify the yeah. sound of the ice coming in and they're right. really like the bubbles. filling up with the fizz yeah you know so now i get that same kind of serotonin well not exactly the same because <laughs> there's not a chemical spike right although sugar but in any case it's another show but um 
I get that same sense of relief that I may have got, right. you know, when I would for the, the past you know, hour of maybe thinking about, I'm going to go home. Cause you rewired yourself. Have, right. And, um, and, and I, so I believe it now because I almost inadvertently did it just by, you know, reading the naked, this naked mind, discussing it with you, reading other books, having other discussions. But, you know, ultimately I think what I've been doing all of these years to try and get better, uh, has been, you know, bolstering that inner, you know, my subconscious too. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what I ultimately needed. And I don't know, maybe if I had known that (laughs) like 10 years ago, um, this wouldn't happen, but then I wouldn't have had the journey mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have met uh, all these great people. Right. It's all, that's all and all these in cool. the past. Although it's, if it's all happening at the same time, maybe it's still the present. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so let's wrap uh, up this week's part. That'll be part one of Annie Grace. Unless there's anything yeah. this week you want to say more about Annie Grace? No, I think uh, we've given Annie her due. Other than the fact that I'm on January 28th, I'm appearing on her podcast. And that is the coolest <laughs> part about the show is um, we're announcing that. I think we've already said this, but yeah. I don't know when it's going. Mike's going to be on. I'll um, be interviewed on the 28th. So really exciting. It's a very large show. She has a very large audience and um, we are very, I just said very, very, very many, many times. two times. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very exciting for us. I'm very excited for Mike. So um, stay tuned for that. And that brings us to recovery in the news. Okay, recovery in the news this week. I bring you uh, an article from the old gray lady herself, uh, the New York Times, <laughs> which is a review of a nonfiction book by a fellow named Carl Hart. Dr. Carl Hart. It's Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, um, <laughs> and the book is called Drug Use for Grownups Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. Um, before you go on, yes, I think we should, in case the audience doesn't know, this guy uh, is has been uh, very, I don't want to say popular, or he, he, I've seen him in documentaries, mm-hmm. he's been very outspoken in general about addiction, he comes from a background of like the inner cities, uh, he's from an African American neighborhood that was, um, you know, financially downtrodden. The area was crime ridden and he's risen, he rose above it all. He becomes this, uh, the doctor of chemical science or something. <laughs> I forgot to look. <laughs> he's a scientific doctor. I used to buy acid from a guy named Dr. Nat or something. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and yes, so, I'm not impugning the guy's uh, no, credentials. That's why this is so amazing is he's been such an advocate for addiction. And, and well, he has a theory, right? His addiction theory is that it's not funny we were just talking about this is that the substance itself is not what makes you addicted because he did a study with rats and he if he offered them companionship or cocaine and the rats took companionship or something right you remember yes yes because if unless they were forced to take some in which case then they right stop taking yes so the opposite of addiction is connection that's his that's his shtick which is true different guys is the connection thing yeah uh that was that british guy from the TED Talks, it says the opposite of addiction is connection. Is that Monte? No. No. Different guy. Anyway. So, okay. So, fast forward for a couple of years, and Dr. Hart has been engaged in <laughs> different hobbies, I guess. he's he, he In the prologue of this book, he writes, I am now entering my fifth year as a regular heroin user. Um, so, that's a bombshell right there, just because he's been this recovery advocate, but he has been uh, advocating for harm reduction a lot. So this kind of follows his logical path. But he also um, says in in this interview for this review that he knows about the discomfort his readers may feel when they encounter his full-throated endorsement of opiates for recreational use. Uh, He offers the information in a spirit of radical transparency because he believes that if grown-ups like him would talk freely about the role of drugs in their lives, we wouldn't be in the mess we are Mm. in, a mess brought about by our ruinous drug policies, no disagreement there, which have such profound and profoundly unequal consequences for those who run afoul of them. Okay, I'm all all on board for the... um, the abolition of the drug war. Right. I don't know how I feel about um, a book that sort of lauds recreational opiate use. So uh, anybody else, and this is, is there, you're, what? I'm sorry, what? you are an opiate user. Yes. Is there such a thing as recreational opiate use or recreational crack use, I guess? You know? 
like my instinct is to say absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But um, had this book come from anyone else, I would not be humoring this at all. Because obviously, I, I mean, I think that's absurd. Um, but this guy is very credible. He's been out there in addiction and harm reduction. And so I'm willing to kind of hear him out. Um, okay. Here's what he says. Yes, please. Quote, I discovered that the predominant effects produced by the drugs discussed in this book are positive. It doesn't matter whether the drug in question was cannabis, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, or psilocybin. The positive effects that he cites include greater empathy, altruism, gratitude, and a sense of purpose. Mm. For Hart personally, coming home and smoking heroin at the end of the day helps him to, quote, suspend the perpetual preparation for battle that goes on in my head. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Well, it, I think it sounds to me like rationalization and justification. And that's what a lot of us in recovery, I think, are. And using, as, using a platform as, a, as a, a voice in this space to advocate the use of uh, methamphetamine, crack, and heroin is the height of irresponsibility, I, I think. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. The only reason I'm not jumping up and down, uh, screaming for, you know... Him to be uh, canceled, cancel culture, uh huh, mm-hmm. is because of his background and credentials. It is about the only thing keeping me listening to him. Um, having said that, I, I don't like on its face. I don't agree. I would have to read this guy's book. I guess look at all of his angles. But on its face, and if you're like me, and um, you've met and interacted with thousands of addicts in the past ten years, yes, uh, studied it and so forth and so on. Um, you hear that and you immediately think of a hundred other addicts who have said very similar things. So yes. only difference being he's in a position where people will respect his opinion because of his, his uh, academic you know, history and his work history. I mean, when I think of methamphetamine, I always think about empathy, altruism, gratitude, and sense of purpose. <laughs> yeah, when you're disassembling <laughs> the, uh, the uh, air Definitely a sense of purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when you're disassembling you know, the air con- your neighbor's air conditioner and <laughs> looking for, for the bug in four hours and yeah, um, sympathy, I, I just what, it sounds to me like he's rationalizing his know. drug use. I got a chuckle out of the, the thing that he says. Uh, he expresses frustration with members of the psychedelic community for insisting that their plant medicines are a superior class of drug and for not coming to the defense of drugs with more tainted reputations like PCP. Uh, I mean, okay. he also, uh, I, I mean, maybe this is just the New York times, uh, painting this book in a, in a, in a way that they want to, because you know, that's what they do sometimes. Well, that's news. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think I, 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 I want to read it. I think I'm going to. I'm, right. oh, when I say read, of course, everybody knows I don't actually know how to read. I, well, uh, e- I listen to it. Either, I will listen. To either it. way, if you, maybe uh, I, I'm loath to give this guy any money, though, so you can go buy some more opiates or <laughs> PCP. But whatever. Well, like, what he does in his own time, right? It's his business. I well, guess. listen. I think this is something that uh, we'll talk about more. Uh, I'm interested to see where a guy you know who's that far advanced intellectually and academically you know where he makes this work and i should be able to you know discern you know between the addict just rationalizing and if he really actually makes a good point or has a good study to back something up but i think on its face yeah you're right it's incredibly irresponsible especially because he was sort of like a pillar in um in the recovery community in a lot of ways and he's doing a lot of work in legal and um, like helping people with legal issues and addiction mm-hmm. and all of that like he was right. very involved like and it's just kind of like I don't know, man. It's weird. and um, <laughs> But I am going to give it a read. Oh, recreational heroin smoking when you get home from work. Yeah. Okay. But we do not go for it. And that's Recovery, Recovery in, the in the News. news. Yeah. Oh, Gavalt. This is a long week. Um, it's a long show. Yeah. I like doing long shows, though. So. Yeah. Well, this is the nice part of the week. Yeah, this is it. Um, this is my beer at the end of the right, day. Somebody's calling me in the morning. New York City. Is it important? It's never important. This week in weird. Oh, I should probably turn to the article so I can read it. 
This Week in Weird comes from Coast to Coast AM. And it's Ghost Child Causes a Stir in Malaysia. A group of friends in Malaysia were convinced that they had encountered a ghost when they spotted a child riding a tricycle in the wee hours of the morning. But the spooky sight wound up having a less than supernatural explanation. The eerie incident reportedly occurred in the city of Penamang last Wednesday at approximately 3 a.m. As the men were driving through the community, one of the passengers in the car was left bewildered when they passed a youngster that was inexplicably out and about at that late hour. Okay, those children. That doesn't really tell the story. But it it said that it wound up having a less than supernatural explanation. So what was what was it? I don't know. <laughs> it's not on my page. I don't know. So um, that's at coast to coast am.com if you want to hear the whole story. Isn't um, <laughs> isn't Malaysia the same place that had they they uh, that had that kid who was two years old who was smoking a couple years ago? Yes, yeah. yes, it is Malaysia. <laughs> Strange of, country. The kids wander around. It's, I don't know. I was uh, hoping to travel there someday, but um, so that's this week in weird. Uh, all right, uh, guys, we've had a really great show. Um, follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Tweet us at Twat You Twit. Instagram, Apple Podcasts, wherever great podcasts are sold. Please yeah. rate us. Review. We need reviews, guys. We more listeners. More Tell your friends. Everybody. And thank you to everybody who's been listening and writing to us and, and loving the show. And, you know, this is um, so much fun for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Go to vi- uh, middleagesrecovery.com. Submit your story. And as we say here, non proficit perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next week, guys. Be good.